You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And joining me on the show today is Sam Westfall. Now, this guy has a pretty amazing history between his service in the military, decades of hunting experience, and then on top of that, shooting competitions, both archery, rifle, three-gun, you name it. It seems like he's done it. And we're going to talk all about how that culminated into him innovating and creating a product for the hunting world that's going to help you practice in more realistic situations. I'm excited not only to hear more about it, but to get my hands on one to go out and shoot on one of these targets that he came up with. So we're going to jump into this episode with Sam. It's going to be a good one. Like he was doing things that were just badass. That was one of the coolest moments of my life. I was really scared, but knowing that Dan had the gun, I did have the rifle, like we would be okay. All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And joining me on the show, I've got Sam Westfall, and he's he's the owner of Archery in Motion. We've been talking a little bit before the show, and I'm already fired up because what he's got going is pretty sweet. But before we jump into the product side of things and the business side of things, Sam, thanks for hopping on. Uh, absolutely, Dan. It's been, you know, thanks for having me. It's been, it's going to be a good conversation. Already looking forward to it. Yeah. Uh, why don't you share with the listeners a little bit about yourself, maybe your hunting history. Um, and then, you know, we'll talk business and kind of how you came up with the ideas that you've come up with. Fair enough. So let's start. Um, so I'm Colorado born and raised. I've been a hunter since I was 12 years old. So now we're 35 years as a hunter and competitive shooter, um, shot firearms competitively starting at age 12 for 4-H kind of built into that all the way up through the military. And then afterwards, um, shot IDPA, IPSC, two-gun, three-gun, indoor combat league for a number of years. About 10 years ago, I switched over to shooting archery and then switched into bow hunting as well. So for the last 10 plus years, I've been strictly a bow hunter, um, birds, but that really doesn't count. Um, so, you know, took that, that skill set, had a history in the army as a tank mechanic working on M1 Abrams. Um, so a little bit of steel, a little bit of fabrication, a little bit of welding as we were repairing things. Got out of the army, spent the next 22 years working in IT, different technologies, different industries across, you know, across the states. Last February, I said, you know what, it's time for me to go do something different. So I took my IT, my welding background, and my passion for hunting and competitive shooting, and I decided to make Archery in Motion, which is that moving target platform. Um, it can accommodate either 3D archery targets or firearms targets, and it really gives a different perspective, um, offers a lot more training opportunities, and it gives a, a more realistic shot scenario for either hunters or tactical trainers. Yeah, what... So with creating this product, was it a, was it a product one that came out of passion, obviously, but based on your experiences in the outdoors, like seeing that most of the time you're elk hunting, you might not have a standing still shot or like a lot of people won't shoot at a moving target. And I kind of understand that, you know, obviously everyone wants a perfectly broadside 20 yard shot on a big bull elk, but that rarely happens. 
It, and if it does, it's just about a miracle. Um, so as I've got deeper into archery in motion, I applied for a couple grants. One of those I had to do a little bit of research in order to apply for. Turns out about 300,000 big game animals across the country are non-fatally wounded each year because of a lack of practice on moving targets. Just exactly to your point, right? They either don't practice on that moving target or they're waiting for that perfectly still shot. They didn't hold long enough, arrow slipped, release slipped, whatever the case may be. And so now you've got a wounded animal that runs for miles. Um, you know, that, that changes the perspective. Part of what started this as I decided to, to walk away from that IT career, I said, you know, stationary targets are fun. I have a lot of fun doing 3D events and shooting competitively, but it is still a stationary target. Let's do something that offers it a bit more challenge, a little bit more difficulty that can go indoor, outdoor, off-road, whatever the case may be, and make it something that's a little bit more fun for folks. So I decided, all right, well, let's build a moving target. Yeah. I mean, the concept of it's amazing. And I, I actually ran into a situation like what you were just describing two days ago. Uh, final day of whitetail season here in Missouri. Was walking to my stand, get 10 yards in the woods, look over, and there's a deer. And then another deer and another deer. And I'm ranging <laughs> and I'm thinking like, man... I wasn't ready for this. I had my mittens on. It was like five below zero. Right. Had my mittens on, had my release still in my bino harness, didn't have an arrow knocked. Like I'm about to climb up my tree, right? Right. <laughs> so I'm not ready. So now I'm like trying not to move, slowly pulling things off, clipping my release, knocking an arrow, and I ended up shooting a deer. And congrats. I'm looking at, well, almost congrats. <laughs> I I shoot and I mean the woods erupt right there's deer going everywhere I didn't realize how many deer there were in the woods with me and it's like it, I can imagine what lions feel like when they run into a herd of zebra and it's just like they scatter and you're like I don't know which one to watch and that's what happened I'm like I don't know which one was mine now like they were just all over the place and I ended up tracking it tracking it at this point, this is where we sit. I contacted a landowner, tried to get permission. He hasn't responded, left a voicemail. I'm going to call him again today. And thankfully, the temperatures are pretty low. But it right. crossed a property boundary onto a neighbor's. And then from there, hopped another fence to a different neighbor that I don't know. So that's where we sit. Um, <laughs> but like... I mean, it wasn't a moving target. You know, it had stepped out from behind a tree, stood still, but still... It happens. I've, mm -hmm. I've been there. Unfortunately, this is the first year that I've ever had an issue shooting a, an animal with a bow and not recovering it. And now it's happened twice. So, so to that point, right. Um, six, seven years ago, I had dropped my mule deer. I was hunting on boat opening day here in Colorado. I let an arrow fly, dropped that mule deer, went over, starting to harvest it out. I got into the, into the rear quarter, stuck my hand in something, poked me. That was different. Reach back in because I'm not the smartest guy in the world. So I reach back into the exact same thing a second time. Something poked me again. All right, third time, let's look. Just pull that muscle up. Sure enough, there's a broad head and about two inches of the arrow still sticking in, kind of angled through the spine, but underneath where it wasn't really touching anything, nothing vital, wasn't even hitting or, uh, gut sack. But the fact that it was in there, and like I said, hunting on opening day, she wasn't wounded. Yeah. So that had lived in there for at least a year. Jeez. And I'm not the only one that's had that or a similar experience to that most of my hunting buddies here in Colorado have had, you know, similar experiences, some way, shape, form or fashion. Yeah. We had, we had that same thing happen. I think three seasons ago now, uh, we were hunting rifle season and we got on this bull. My buddy ends up shooting it. We go over and we start quartering it out and he goes to lift up the front right leg and it is just as floppy as floppy gets. And I'm like, well, that's weird because, you didn't shoot it in the shoulder. Like we know where he shot it and we start skinning it out, pulling that quarter off and tink on the blade. Yep. And there's a trad broadhead buried in the shoulder, ruined the whole, that whole quarter was just like mucus and pus and gangrene. And I mean, it was nasty. So we ended up losing yep. basically a whole quarter off that, off that elk because of it. Oh yeah. Hate it when that happens. Yep. So I, I'm curious now because my brain, I love, I love seeing new innovation. I love seeing new products. And then my mind starts just racing with all of these different things, right? 
one thing that as a whitetail hunter, I grew up doing that. That's primarily what I've done my whole life until the past few years getting out West and hunting. Uh, have you, have you started thinking about making a ducking buck decoy? Like when whitetails duck the arrow? Cause I feel like that's every whitetail hunter's worst nightmare is when a deer drops mid shot. So in this whole journey of entrepreneurship and archery in motion, um, Big Shots Targets, based out of Pennsylvania, has been kind enough to partner with me. And in that partnership, you know, they they wanted to build a moving target. They just never dedicated time or resources towards it. So yeah. they like what I'm doing. Um, in that, that they've given me multiple targets to to shoot demo videos with and that type of thing and kind of show what it's really capable of. I'm hoping to be able to partner with them a little bit deeper to maybe make something that I can automate that, you know, the legs buckle or whatever the case may be with a couple of servo motors to build that. But it's, it's a ways down the road before I yeah. even get to that point. I have to have a, a more, I, I got to finish out a couple more models just to make sure that I've got a, a solid uh, structure sales, sales pro uh, platform to work off of. And then I can start doing some upgrades to, to those types of things. So you're not like Apple where you have 15 models ready to go and then you only give us the oldest one. <laughs> no, I'm really just trying to keep it down to four at the very, very most. Nice. So eight foot straight line mover, 10 foot straight line mover with speed control. Um, the one that's currently in prototype mode is a 26 foot oval track. So you'll get um, varying distance, quartering two, quartering way, broadside and frontal shots. Dang. And that one's self-propelled, so it's it gives a lot of different uh, environment. I'm hoping to be able to put some type of uh, movement randomizer in that one as well, just to see what kind of chaos that that causes for folks. Yeah. And then the last one will be just a straight pop-up, lay-back-down type target. Man, this is so cool. And I I love, I love everything you're doing. Um, do you have a range at your own place that you're shooting? Well, thank you. Yeah. Uh, do you have a, do you have a range at your place that you shoot? I don't, but I've got, um, so the air force Academy is about a 12 minute drive from my house. So, you know, they're kind enough to let me utilize some of their space. They've got an archery range on the air force Academy there. that's open to the public that I can get out and shoot in there. And they've got a wide selection of targets to choose from. So I've got a handful of my own now, but you know, if I need to, uh, grab a video with a standing bear or, the Reinhardt full-size elk, I can go out and grab theirs. Okay. Um, why don't we get in? I know we talked before the show about kind of how this all works as far as like a power source goes for those interested in this. How do you, how do you power this, especially in like a backcountry scenario like that? All right. So that becomes the fun part. So in the process of building this, I wanted to make it so that it could be used virtually anywhere, indoor, outdoor, near a wall outlet or a generator, or even out in the middle of nothing. So I've got it to where it's functional off of solar panel, solar panel wall power, generator power, gen, uh, 12 volt DC battery as the, as the predominant component there with converters that go to either solar or wall power. Um, and then the wireless control, which is a, a double button wireless controller that you can use all the way out to 120 yards. So gives you a lot of flexibility about where it could go and how it can be used and kind of where that plays. Yeah. I mean, it's cool that you have the capability of making it move when you want it to, but then it can stay stationary if you're just doing a traditional uh, target shoot. But oh, man, absolutely, it's just wild. And then you also had mentioned that you, you can adapt them or you can use steel targets on it for, for rifle or pistol or three gun shooting. Correct. Man. So I've got, I've got a big question because I hear this thrown around with you being a competitive, uh, archery, you competed with archery and you competed with uh, long gun. I've heard people say that shooting at 10 yards is like shooting at a hundred yards with a rifle. Shooting at a hundred yards with a bow is like shooting it at a thousand yards with a rifle. Is that something you find to be true? I would say it's fairly close to accurate. Um, you know, the so that Reinhardt one third elk, right? It's designed to be an equivalent of a 60 yard elk shot at 20 yards, right? Okay. So when you 
when you step for most archers, bow hunters, they wouldn't even consider taking a 60 yard shot. Well, in Colorado, you might have to because the woods are open enough. You might get enough of a, a space to be able to do it. In Missouri, where you're at, you're not taking a 60 yard shot. You can't even see 60 yards because of all the trees. Yeah. So it's it just builds that scenario. The part of the goal for this is to make sure that it can be used anywhere. Part of the goal is to make sure that you're you're getting practice in your area how you can and what you need to to be efficient and have the most ethical hunting shots. Well, if you're if that hunting shot for you is 10 yards or 60 yards, I want to make sure that you're practicing at that. Back to your question though, to go to a hundred yard archery shot, you and I both know that that's a hard shot to make. Everything has to be perfect. You know, face pressure, thumb release, you know, even the little hairs on the side of our mouth have to be out of the way just so much that that string goes by without a problem. On a rifle, most guys aren't going to take that, that longer shot, 700 plus yards, unless they've got a solid base, whether they're on a tripod or laying down on their backpack, you know, they're comfortable, they're not out of breath, they're not winded, they're not, you know, heart's not trying to pound out of their chest. But once all those pieces come into play and it works right, you can make those shots and you can drop an animal pretty much where you need to, as long yeah. as you've got good shot placement. And the key part of shot placement is knowing your animal and knowing your practice is good. Yeah. I've always, when, when I talk to guys who are getting into one of those or the other, whether it be archery or long range shooting with a rifle, I'm like the biggest factor that's a difference between the two is you don't have a rest on right. a bow. <laughs> exactly. Like you just don't, like I haven't, I haven't found any way to effectively rest a bow. And I've thought about it. I've honestly thought about products. Like how could you do this to make it to where it's like a tripod, but for a bow. And I'm like, you're never going to be able to do that in the field, you nope. know, like maybe in a tower blind whitetail hunting somewhere, but, sure. but other than that, there's no scenario where you're actually going to be able to use a rest. And right. so that's where the practice comes in practicing every scenario. Exactly. Um, when I go out with my buddies and we shoot throughout the course of the year, building up towards hunting season, we'll shoot from single knee, both knees, flat on your butt, you know, just about, you know, almost laying down in some cases where you've got a good steep angle hill that you can, you know, kick back on and, and make yourself comfy on because you need to be able to practice all those shots to be able to make that, in my case, 55 yard heart shot on a mule deer this year or this past year. Yeah. You know, you have to be comfortable with whatever is going to come in front of you. And if you're shooting through little windows or, you know, even leaves, you need to make sure that you've practiced that you're comfortable with it. You know where that arrow is going to go and you have to be comfortable and confident in your equipment. Yeah. What do, you, what do you think the disconnect is or the difference? I mean, we talked about the foliage or the amount of trees and stuff, but it just seems like out west, I don't talk to many people who aren't comfortable shooting 60 plus yards with their bow. And then here, I talk to guys and I'm like, what's your max range? Probably 35. And I'm yeah. like, man, your, your equipment's capable of doing way more than that. And there's oh, yeah. guys that are hunting field edges where there's no obstruction. But for whatever reason, as a as an Eastern or a Midwestern whitetail hunter, we're geared to just think like we can't shoot any farther than that. And I would, you know, I've never hunted. Well, that's not completely true. I hunted Kentucky when I was in the military out there. But even that was, you're kind of to your point. You're programmed to where your forty yards is really that max shot that you're that you're willing or comfortable to take out there. Whereas Colorado, Montana, Wyoming. Idaho, Washington State, Utah, Arizona, you're going to take some longer shots. And it's just how that plays out. If you can get that animal to come in at 20 to 30, beautiful. But the odds are not great. Yeah. You know, that, out here, the wind swivels and swifts, and it could shift in a heartbeat. And you're, okay, I've got wind in my face. And the next thing I know, that wind's coming directly at my back, blowing up their nose, and they're gone. Yeah, I... I can't imagine. I haven't been up close and personal with an elk outside of a park uh, in the wild. Um, I just can't imagine in a hunting scenario having one come in that close. Like when we rifle hunt, I've only rifle hunted Colorado. The The goal this year is to archery hunt elk uh, for the first time. But my closest arch or my closest rifle shot was like 330 yards, right. you know, and I'm thinking, man, I got to close that. This, I got to cut that down by 80%. Yeah. 
in order to be within effective range. And it just, it, it, it's crazy to watch the videos of guys who get them like basically brushing their arrow. Right. Like, that just blows my mind. And there's a reason there's only a couple of those videos out there. That's exactly it. Yeah. There, you know, that's a lot of scent control. That's a lot of noise control. That's being very, very humble and quiet and still and knowing that I have to just not blink in order for that animal to come near that close. Um, my closest shot on an elk was about 17 plus yards. Um, on a mule deer, it's been seven yards. So, right. you know, I've had them up close and personal with me and that's, they were great. But like I said, this last year, it was a 55 yard shot across a, a little pond, took a hard shot on her. She ran 30 yards and dumped. And that's, you know, I'm happy with that all day long. Yeah. Are you, are you hunting over the counter out there or are you um, putting building so, points? It's, well, that's the fun part with archery in Colorado as a resident, non-residents a little harder, but as a resident, <laughs> we can normally pull either sex tags um, with a zero point or one point uh, for most units. So, yeah. you know, when I, when I put in every year, I'll put in for mule deer, pronghorn, bear, elk, and I throw in for a moose tag as well, but we're, we're just building points for moose in Colorado at this point. But, you know, I'll, I typically drop an elk every two to three years. I'll drop a mule deer every year. Um, turkeys, grouse, you know, stack them up as best I can. Yeah. The, the point system, man, I keep looking at my points and I'm like, one of these years, one of these years, you know, I've been putting in for basically everything out there. Um, building points. I quit putting in for mountain goat because I was fortunate Smart. enough to do, do a mountain goat hunt with my buddy out there. He drew, he was successful. Nice. I hated the meat. Uh, oh, and I was nice. like, once I tasted the meat, I was like, I've effectively done this. I, I just wasn't the one that pulled the trigger and I don't really care to only get a cape out of something when I don't like the flavor of the meat. So, uh, but I'm still putting in for moose, big horn, um, and moose is like bucket list for me. I'm yeah, same. I'm just really hoping. Same. I'm five years into points on moose and, you know, and, and as a resident, it's a little easier for us, but it's still the draw. So we're, you know, play the game as best you can. Yeah. I, I see those kids that like their first four years of points and all of a sudden they draw. I'm like, every hunter in the country hates them and is jealous of them right now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> all right. How many of you guys hate dealing with tangled up rope, trying to untie it? It's all knotted up and you actually really need it at the time. Don't raise your hands because I obviously can't see you, but those days are long gone. Rapid Rope is a quick deploy rope solution that you can pull the length you need and cut it all with one hand. You don't need knives or scissors or a lighter to singe the end because it's cross-threaded to keep it from fraying. Yeah, they've thought of everything. And this is way stronger than your average 550 cord. In fact, this is 1,100 pound test. It comes in a shatterproof canister that you can fit in the cup holder in your vehicle or your backpack or... I don't know if you still wear cargo pants, any one of the thousand pockets that you have. It comes in a 120 foot canister, a 70 foot canister, and you can get a rope refill. So just in a matter of seconds, you could be deploying and cutting rope with one hand again. So if you wanna stop dealing with the headache of untying rope and detangling everything, anytime you need to tie something down, go check out rapidrope.com and use code NOMADIC for 10% off at checkout. If you're an avid listener of this podcast, you've probably heard me talking about Infinite Outdoors in the past. Infinite Outdoors is expanding access for hunting and fishing on private land across the country. From whitetail hunts in Missouri to waterfowl hunts in Wyoming and pheasant hunts in Colorado, they provide access to over a million acres of private land listings for all types of hunting and fishing. Best part is, it's incredibly easy to browse and book properties all on the Infinite Outdoors app. The app is free to download and easy to use. All you have to do is sign up and you can browse over 250 different adventures across 10 states. Download the app today and use Nomadic 15 for 15% off your membership. Um, two years ago, I was up near Walden, which is in the northern part of Colorado. Uh, I was in a public area, public forest, and I was kind of walking up this fence line. So kind of hugging the private side. Sure enough, there's a truck coming down the road like this beat up. Right. And it's a guy coming off his own property with a moose head in the back of his truck. So I stopped chatted with him for a few minutes, kind of got 
kind of got the lay of the land and get a feel for it. And I, you know, congratulations on your moose. He goes, yep. It took me 17 years of putting in for preference points for my own property, but he's got a really nice trophy out of it. Um, he showed me a wonderful picture where he's got both arms fully extended and he's holding the back strap in each hand that goes all the way down to his ankles. Oh my like, goodness. You know, yeah. Right. Right. You know, congratulations. That's fantastic. I, I, that's wonderful. He said, by the way, the one that I took, he said, there's a, a relative of his in this ditch line that you're walking up on. So be ready for him. And sure enough, the next day I ran into him from about 15 yards out. <laughs> Man, I got to, I, again, my same buddy, he's just the luckiest guy in Colorado. He drew a moose tag two years before his mountain goat tag. And so I went out with him. He didn't do it archery. He did it rifle, but he was successful opening day. You know, we went out, scouted July, and we were looking yeah. at all these different moose. And the just the size of them, I, I think there's something about a big animal, whether they've got antlers or not. Like being yeah. 20 yards from three cow moose was it's, one of the most surreal things I've ever done. It's impressive and scary all at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. But, I mean, uh, all of us over here near the Mississippi or east of the Mississippi – we just see the opportunity out West. And I think that's why you guys are getting an influx of hunters, especially yeah. with hunting media. You know, they're promoting it left and right. People oh, yeah. are hearing. And I mean, a big part of my platform and my channel is trying to tell people about opportunities that they didn't know about. And I'm fortunate that when I lived in Colorado, my buddies took me out. They introduced me to the sport and now I'm hooked. It's like, that's, that's one of the few hunts that I will not miss each year. <laughs> exactly right. It's, you know, my wife and I lived in Washington state for a number of years. We decided we were going to leave Washington state because the weather and, and traffic was horrible. And where do you want to go to? Well, let's go back to Colorado. Cause I know I can hunt there every year and I know that I can, you know, I know the area cause I've hunted it for decades. Let's put me in the freezer. Let's do it. So, yeah. Did, so you, you started archery hunting. How long have you been doing that? Cause you said you basically switched completely over from archery or to archery hunting. Correct. So I'm, uh, I think this last year was year number 12 as okay. just truly a bro bow hunter. Okay. Did you start, did you start bow hunting before, uh, that, or it nope. was just a cold, hard switch. Oh, dang. <laughs> <laughs> what, what is it for you about archery that, that you love so much that you drop everything else? Um, so my, it, it's actually twisted that a little bit. My last year rifle hunting, I took a 710 or 715 yard shot on a, on an elk. So basically ridgeline to ridgeline and it dropped that cow. And as I was walking to her, you know, the three quarters of a mile to get down the hill and back up to her, I realized, I said, it's not, it's not hunting anymore. It's unfair. Oh, okay. um, so I wanted something different. And so a buddy and I, once I moved up to Washington, we got to talking he said, you know, if you want something a little bit more challenging, get into archery because it's a lot more challenging. Okay. So sure enough, I did. And over the years I've learned, okay, now I need to change my diet, change my workout, change my habits. Um, you know, I've had to go, I'm not just wearing regular jeans and a t-shirt anymore. It's, I need to be decked out in camo and something that's going to hold and maintain, reduce that scent as best I can and everything I can to, to really get up close and personal with those animals. Three years ago, no, four years ago, sorry. I've hunted pronghorn for decades with a rifle. I didn't know that they made noise until four years ago. Dang. So had no idea. Yeah, and I didn't I, know. I mean, I couldn't tell you what noise. I didn't know moose a, made noise. Like, I mean, sure, if I look way back, probably watching Jim Shockey on Outdoor right? Channel or whatever, him calling and stuff, but then, like, you actually hear it. Yep. And when you hear it, it's the weirdest, most foreign it's, thing. <laughs> It's a weird sound in the middle of the woods. What what does a pronghorn sound like? So it's more like a whistle, um, real high pitch. It's just a whistle. So mm -hmm. I was down uh, southeast Colorado four years ago. Been out there for a couple of days, chasing pronghorn around. And I ran into this old farmer that lived out there. And he said, well, what are you doing to get him? I, he said, are you sitting in a blind or are you sitting on a decoy? I said, well, I have a decoy for the fun of my bow. So I was trying to co coax him in with that. He goes, Okay, I want you to do two things. I want you to get a, go into town, buy a white t-shirt, and tear it off in a chunk. 
He said, and then I want you to build your whistle, whatever, however you can whistle, but I will need you to, to focus on your whistle. Okay. He said, take that chunk of t-shirt, tie it to the end of your arrow, wave it. He said, that'll call them in from about a thousand yards out. He said, and when they get within 200 yards, I want you to whistle at them and they'll just about come running in to run you over. Oh my sure enough. gosh. So I so played, ended that... up like two days later, I ended up playing with this buck for three hours. He came in from 1200 yards out. He went 360 degrees around me, would never come in past 150 yards. But, you know, we played for three hours. Oh, my goodness. Is that still the technique you use today? It is. <laughs> Man, I've, I watched a video of someone doing that with caribou. They said it was similar with caribou that they'll just they'll see something white and they'll get interested and come over to investigate. I didn't yep. realize it was the same with with antelope. Very much so. What? Out of out of all the species that you've hunted, what's your favorite? Um, I like mule deer. Really, you know, elk hunting's fun, but elk hunting's hard, right? It, I'm a solo hunter, so it takes everything at 47 year olds for 47 years old for me to pack that off the mountain. It hurts anymore, but they're still fun to chase. Yeah. But mule deer, I can get up, I can get up close to, and you know, when you put one in the cooler or put one in the pack, it's really not that bad to pack it back out. So, and they're easy to fill the freezer. And in some ways they're dumb. If you whistle at them, if you talk to them, if you wave at them, they're just going to turn broadside for you and just, there you go. Problem solved. Yeah. I, I could definitely see that. I've had some really close encounters with mule deer and it's that same thing. I mean, I stalked in open country, a whole herd of, of, um, does and I knew there was a buck close by because my buddies saw it. Like we were driving back to camp in the side by side. And they're like, dude, there's a bunch of does. There's a big buck up here. And I like roll up behind them on the four wheeler. I'm the only one with a mule deer tag at our elk camp. And so they're like, dude, big buck, go after it. So I circle around and I'm, they would let me get to a hundred yards mm -hmm. over and over and over. And if I closed the distance any farther, they'd bound away. And the whole time I'm looking for this buck and I can't see it. And I'm like, no idea where it was. And then finally, five minutes before legal light, I look up and I mean, I'm in an open field of sage, like <laughs> nothing more than knee high. And this buck just appears right in the middle of all of them. And I'm like, oh, here we go. But you know, you know how it is with an elk. You would yep. never do that. They no. see you one time and they're, they're 1300 yards away right <laughs> yeah yep they're gone yeah what's uh what's what's on the agenda for 2024 are you planning any big hunts aside from the normal colorado stuff it, it'll be just the normal colorado stuff you know i've won dream hunt is to go up and hunt uh, moose up in saskatchewan um but the price just keeps climbing and doesn't make it any easier so yeah so i just keep throwing in for tags for colorado yeah i know the areas i know the animals um, as long as it's not a huge, nasty winter kill this year again, like previous year, I should be all right to put a whole bunch more meat in the freezer. Yeah. Do you know how, do you know how the uh, winter affected the moose this year? Cause I, um, I've heard numbers on elk, but I haven't on moose. Yeah. So talking with the game warden over by Meeker, which is over on the Western side of Colorado, um, you know, Craig area got hit really bad. It was almost 70% loss across the board. So that's deer, elk, bear, pronghorn, just wiped. They already said it's probably going to be another five to seven years before they really allow a bunch of hunters to go back up that area to hunt that again. And Craig was a phenomenal hunting area. Um, moose is not, didn't get hit quite as hard. But then there was this most recent wolf reintroduction. So we'll see yeah. how that impacts all the animals up that direction. Where where did they pull those wolves from? Uh, out of Oregon. Oh, no, out of up, Oregon. Yep. Okay. So that'll be kind of interesting because obviously they've got elk up there. I don't know if Oregon, did they have a moose population or a big moose I population? I don't know that they had, they might've had some, but I don't know that they had a big population up there. So yeah, I'm, I'm curious how the, well, one, the moose in Colorado aren't used to wolves, but the wolves also aren't used to moose. Right. So we'll see how that plays out. I mean, it's unfortunate. Everybody, <laughs> I feel like most people are kind of like, dude, go to Yellowstone if you want to see wolves. That's right. You know, it's just a, I feel like it's an anti-hunting move is what it comes right. down to. And there's, to there's probably a component of that as well. I would agree. 
Yeah. Um, the nice part, Colorado moose, while they look at humans and go, yeah, I'm not worried about you. They'll 99%. They'll just keep walking. Um, if they do get nervous, you know, much like moose anywhere else, the first thing they go to is water and they'll go knee deep, which is usually, you know, waist or chest deep on you and I, Yeah, and they'll hang out there for hours. And I would say when the wolves decide that they want to chase one of those and they chase them into the water, it'll be a mistake. Yeah. Yeah. They, they definitely have a much better chance against wolves than the elk do. I mean, the elk obviously have the numbers in their, to their favor, but moose, I, that's one thing I'm like, I would rather come across a pack of wolves if I had a rifle or a shotgun or really any weapon than a bull moose (laughs) that's pissed off. Like that would not be the animal to cross out there. Well, you know, I, told you a little bit ago that that ran into that other bull moose in that valley down in the draw. And I wasn't 15 yards from him. I could smell him. Couldn't see him yet. And I came around a willow 15 yards away. There he is. Okay. We're going to back up and move out the other direction. <laughs> Find the biggest tree you can. <laughs> That's exactly it. <laughs> and thankfully they get bored easy. So, you know, it makes it a little easier. Yeah. I, I couldn't believe it, man. Just realizing the sheer size of them and the fact that they realize, like, you you can't do anything to me. Like, they look at us the same way that I look at, like, a Yorkie. <laughs> you know, like, you're kind of annoying, but exactly. really, what kind of damage are you going to do? And, oh, man, right. that's that's definitely a dream hunt. Mine's, mine's uh, Alaska or a Yukon moose and just getting, I mean, I yep. want to be so far away that, like, planes don't fly over that spot, you know? Yeah, I've joked with the wife about a caribou hunt up in Alaska. And then let's call it five years ago, we looked up the price. It was like 17 grand then. And last year I looked at it again and it's, you know, $28,000 or $29,000 for a drop camp solo hunter up there just for a caribou. And then, you know, they got to set you up with a, a grizzly shield and everything else, you know, grizzly fence line. Yeah, okay. It may be out of the cards, but, you know, last year it might be a thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think, I mean, when I do it, in looking at prices, obviously the flight is where it comes in. Like, them flying you in is where the big expense comes from. But it's like, if you really go solo, like, you bring your own tent, you bring everything, it seems to me like it's going to be cheaper for me to do Alaska than it will long-term for me to do Colorado after putting in thousands and thousands just to get points. Right. Now, there's Randy Newberg made a comment probably two years ago now. You know, if you're hunting Colorado and you're four or five or more preference points deep, burn them. Because, you know, you might not, if you're trying to go for unit two, unit two is 26 plus preference points this last year in order to get into it. At your age, at my age, you and I may never ever see unit two. Yeah. You know. If you've got young kids that you put in for preference points now, they might see it in their lifetime, but realistically. And and I I, I liked what he had to say because it made sense. And yeah. you can get some really good units in Colorado with four or five preference points. Yeah, that's what that's where my debate's coming right now is I do have, I'm at six or seven points for basically all species. I haven't yep. burned, aside from mule deer, I burn a point you know, just to go and hunt. Like as soon as I get a point, I use it for our unit. Um, and so I think last year I didn't draw and the year before that I didn't. So I guess technically I've got two now, but for elk, I'm like, man, I feel like it might just be time to burn points. I, I as would. much as it pains me. I'm like, dude, this is seven years of saving. <laughs> yeah. But it's time, right? Yeah. There's no reason to let them go to waste. And if they in the next five years, decide to change the preference point system. You don't want to lose out on them. So you might as well just burn them and go pull a tag in a unit that you may not be unfamiliar with, but there's plenty of opportunity to, to e-scout and, you know, uh, websites like hunt score will help get you the right idea, the right area, the right kind of premise on where to hunt some, um, some animals at. Yeah. I think, I think that might be in the cards coming up soon. My my biggest fear, though, with all Western states, is that over-the-counter tags go away, and there's and a I chance feel of that like as that's well. coming soon. Yep, I keep hearing 
about the influx of hunters from, I mean, now I'm one of them, right? Initially when I hunted right. Colorado, I'm not a, I'm not a Colorado native, but I lived there for a year. I was able to legally hunt as a resident yeah. and then moving away from there now, I'm like, great. Now I'm that guy, right? <laughs> like I'm the guy coming in from out of state that everybody hates. <laughs> it happens. Yeah. I just, the e-scouting thing, I love, I love what all of these mapping softwares are doing and making it more and more accessible for us, you know? Whether, whether you're in-state or out-of-state, yep. if it's an area that you don't get to go and scout on foot, put boots on the ground with your binos, with whatever, the fact that we can do that online. In fact, yep. when we when we were scouting for my buddy's moose hunt, it was like, all right, we're going to go check this out in person. It's going to be a weekend of event. You know, It's not just sure. like drive up there, hang out for the day and come back. So we made a full weekend of it. And then we were e-scouting. And what's crazy is that we actually found moose on Onyx. Oh, yeah. We were on Onyx and we're like looking at these different little <laughs> ponds up in the mountains. And I'm like, dude, that's a moose. That's a bull moose standing in the water. And you could see it from the satellite right. imagery. That's it's great. Um, there's a, a small boulder based startup that's going to try to compete against Onyx here in the near future called Hunt with Odin. And I did an interview with them eh, probably a month ago. About as a Colorado hunter, even an out-of-state hunter, what would I look for in the next version of a hunting mapping software? And so we we had a great conversation, kind of laid it out, and I and I think what he's going to be putting together is going to be pretty cool. Um, where Onyx has kind of the migration maps and feasibility of it, this guy's putting together a little bit more of a hey, if you're coming from out of state at sea level and you know what your limitations are. Here's some areas, you know, if you know that you're above 50 years old and your knees are bad and you're, you know, that that altitude is going to get you, here's some areas that you may want to focus your idea hunt at versus Onyx just says, Hey, here's the map. Here's your migration map. Have at it. All right. If you're not using Tacticam's reveal cell cameras on your hunting property for scouting or monitoring the wildlife, you are seriously missing out. When you pair that with the Reveal mobile app, you can see the action as it's happening, no matter where you are. In fact, I've got trail cameras up in Wisconsin on the land that we hunt. And not only do I get pictures from those cameras sent to me, I can also track the progress of the camera, the battery life, how much memory is left on the SD card, and I can see what the weather's doing at the time that a picture is taken. So I can't think of a better tool for scouting, whether it is close to home or in a totally different state. So if you want to stay tuned into the action or just get into the action, go to revealcellcam.com or tactcam.com and use code NOMADIC for 10% off at checkout. All right, guys, I've got to tell you about some of the new XOP products that I've been using this fall. And some of them I use in kind of an unconventional way. First off, I use the Mondo saddle, but I also use their turkey hunter vest. And I take the cold world stand, put it in the back of the vest, and carry it in that way. Depending on how far I have to pack in, I'll just bring a foot platform. But one thing I've learned is that if I put the seat cushion on the underside of the seat and flip it up, it turns it into a knee pad also, or I can flip the seat down and sit on it like a conventional tree stand. I also used their holster kit clipped right onto my saddle to carry in my climbing sticks while keeping my hands free. If you're interested in getting a mobile hunting setup like mine, go to xopoutdoors.com and use code NOMADIC for 10% off at checkout. Dang, so that's, that's a really good thing to factor into it i never would have thought about that like the obviously we're all looking at topography we're looking at sure. different things but i haven't been looking at topography as a limiting factor to my hunt it's exactly. been more as a wild like how, how are the wildlife going to use it right but like you said for somebody who's got a bum knee or you know if they're coming out and between the two of them they're going to have to pack it out by themselves and right they can only get a quarter at a time or whatever the case may be that's a brilliant thing to add into it, the it different is. limiting factors and, and what area would best suit that person. Right. So it was, it, like I said, it, it was a really cool piece of software. Um, he's not ready to go beta just yet, 
but I think it's it's coming here in the near future. Um, Hunt with Odin is the name of it. So if you want to okay. look it up. Yeah, um, I'm going to have to check that out. Yeah, it's it's going to be some cool stuff once he gets it all put together. How do, how do you feel about all of this technology? I mean, for me, I'm like, obviously, I like to use it. It increases my odds. At what point, like with rifle hunting, when you were like, dude, this isn't even hunting. This isn't even fair. At what point does that happen where we just say, we're not hunting anymore? Well, you know, and I understand, I hear what you're saying, but I also understand there's a lot of guys that, that don't want to leave 100 yards from their truck. Yeah. There's, there's a bunch of folks that will drive their quads, their you know, side-by-sides up in the mountain. They'll take 200 yards away from the road, and that's as far as they're going to go. Um, which gives the rest of us that are willing to walk and put in the miles and put boots on the ground to go up and over every hill, especially on the archery side, it gives us an opportunity to get a little bit deeper into the woods yeah. where you are still technically hunting. Yeah. And so I think there's, there's pros and cons to it on both sides, but the true hunters are still going to show their, their true colors and they'll put the miles in to get there. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely don't feel like we're at the point where it's like, this is no longer hunting. Because if you look at the statistics and the odds of success, <laughs> we're not, either it we're is hunting st- and we all just suck, or it's just that hard, you know? It, it's and, called hunting for a reason. Yeah. And I mean, it, it's not like Eastern states where you can have 200 pounds of corn still on the cob, laying right. underneath your stand. Exactly. Uh, you know, and I feel like even that stuff, a lot of it's going away. Uh, they're just making it more and more challenging. Mm-hmm. And the more challenging it is, it seems like aside from weather conditions or predatory conditions outside of people, the numbers are going to go up, you know, yeah. and then people will be more successful and then the numbers are going to go down and then they're going to go back, you know, and it's kind yeah. of that ebb and flow of things. But I have heard from a lot of people this year in Wyoming, Idaho, Montana, Colorado, that the winter was just, it was brutal insane my brother actually lives he lives up in steamboat okay and uh he was out during spring he went out shed hunting and he's like you would not believe the it it just seemed like piles of dead animals yep you could find whole herds so you know whether it was 10 to 20 animals deep laying 30 yards from each other and just disintegrating as they laid there it was really hard to see yeah i i would have a difficult time walking up on that for sure as an outdoorsman as somebody who loves genuinely loves these animals but also loves to hunt them and he he would send me videos where it's like he would just pan and it would just be antelope 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 Mm -hmm. antelope and it was the same thing with elk i don't think he found as many mule deer dead but he came across a couple big groups of both antelope and elk yep yeah there's it was it was a rough year up there it was rough. Um, and like I said, I would, I, where I normally hunt is up by Craig and I had to move a little farther South down by Meeker and I could still see where that, that cold, you know, deep snow, deep, hard, cold, hard frost, it impacted the animals down even, even in a Meeker, just not as, not quite as much. Um, and one of the ranch owners that I talked to this year, you know, I was looking, I was up there for a couple of days and hadn't seen anything yet. Hadn't even seen any sign. But about two weeks before I was up there, they had a cold snap. When I was talking with this rancher, she said, you know, you're about two weeks too late. When that cold snap hit, all the animals dropped down below 8,000 feet because they didn't want to go through what they did last year again. Okay. I said, actually, that makes sense. Yeah. She goes, but thank you for talking to me because you're the only one that's asked that question. Whereas all of the rest of the hunters that are up here are still bouncing around the woods trying to find something. Yeah. Yeah. I... You, you'd mentioned that the CPW agent told you it would be like five to seven years before they really let the same amount of hunters in there. Is yep. that what they're estimating? It's going to take the population that, to bounce back? Th- I don't know that that's confirmed, you know, hard numbers yet, but that's when the gal and I talked, I was in, I ran into a bunch of turkeys and I didn't have a turkey tag on me. So I went back into town, and bought a turkey tag and just had a conversation with her. And yeah, she said, you know, we're, we're evaluating that, but you know how it's looking right now. It's probably going to be a few years before we really let a large number of hunters go back in there to to really thin it out again, just because the winter kill was so buff, so rough. Yeah, I mean seventy percent. I I can't imagine that that population will be back to regular levels Not anytime soon. Years. I mean, right? 
especially it's like there's no telling what this winter is going to look like. I think my brother said the other day, I think it was two days ago, they just had like 18 or 20 inches of snow right overnight. And like, I mean, those mountain conditions are no joke. We, the kids had, we've had three snow days here in Springfield, Missouri, and we don't even have a total of one inch on the ground. Right. So like, we don't understand <laughs> snowfall like the mountains do. <laughs> right. And we've had, you know, we had uh, this past weekend was record temperatures for us as well. Right. So even in Colorado Springs, we had temps down into the the low or negative 16, negative 17 overnights. And, you know, that's in Colorado Springs. We're, I'm at 7,000 feet right here. So up yeah. in Steamboat, where they're at 80, 81, 82. Yeah, I can't imagine what those temps were up there. Yeah, I just can't. The fact that these animals survive any winter in those conditions blows my mind. It, as long as they got food, they can do it, but it's it's hard for them. And last, you know, last year with the deep snow and that extreme cold and they couldn't find food and calving, you know, the calves were coming out either stillborn or as soon as they hit the ground, they were instantly cold and didn't have couldn't get to food, so they were done. Yeah, do you know what rough. do you know what an average fawn or calf recruitment rate looks like? Um, I think over in Craig, it's usually fairly high. It's, it's like 40 to 55%, something like that. Okay. So they've got a, they've got a good track record up there and that's why some of the biggest herds are over in that direction. Um, but it was just, yeah, it was a rough year. Yeah. Yeah. I can't imagine. I mean, any, anything young, anything old, even, even the right. seemingly healthy animals. All, yeah. If they just all if get they couldn't find food, they're done. Hmm. I wonder, I wonder how that's going to affect even the growth, I mean, for, for people who are going after a certain size elk, right? It, yeah. Do they put on more the next year? Or I would hope so. It, yeah, I, I would think that they would really gear up for winter. Right. And, I mean, then even that that would translate into, you know, spring and early summer growth that, that maybe they would put on more size, uh, well, both I... body and antler-wise. Yeah, so body wise, you know, normally when I drop a, a doe mule deer here in Colorado, I'm putting somewhere between sixty to sixty five pounds of meat in the freezer off of that. Yeah, um, the mule deer that I dropped this year, I ended up with about seventy two or seventy three. So definitely a little bit more yeah. growth just off of that. Dang, yeah, that's good. And I mean, especially if they're any more fatty, you know, like a little bit, not, not terribly much. They, they just are such lean animals. And it, exactly. That's another crazy thing. I'm like, how is there this little fat on an animal like that one here in Missouri? You know, we've got these whitetails or even, uh, one of the craziest things I've ever seen was these pigs, wild pigs down on Cumberland Island in Georgia. Okay. And we shot them. And I mean, some of these pigs Layers. had yeah. two inches of fat and I'm thinking, these don't ever encounter cold temperatures. No. And I mean, maybe that's why it is. Maybe they just burn through they, all they just like soak it up. Yeah. Out West, they burn through that fat and in a spot like that, they don't have to. But then I'm thinking, well, why do you even need that much fat on you anyways, <laughs> if you're not encountering it? Yeah, but it's tasty. <laughs> yeah. Oh, trust me. It was, we, uh, my one buddy, he's like, man, he was cutting the whole thing up and it was like that thick layer of fat all the way around. And he was just, I mean, it was hitting the ground. And I'm like, dude, what are you doing? I'm like, put that in its own bag, right? You can, you can cook literally anything in that. And it's going to, if you don't, if you're not a vegan, you could eat a full vegan diet, just <laughs> soaked in that fat. That's right. It's good. <laughs> exactly. I hunted in Texas, uh, hog hunts down there for a couple of years, drove from Colorado down and it was fun. There were good hunts. Um, but yeah, those hogs, they, that's a whole different flavor of meat than what I've ever had. And it's very, very tasty. Yeah. Talk about a non-challenging hunt, right? <laughs> like when Pretty you much. don't have to hunt those things, they just come in from in Texas as a whole. I'm like, I don't know what they feed these deer that just makes them not care about anything. But like, yeah, it's everywhere you go there. You see animals. We were in a, we were in a state park in our motorhome. It would have been last January. Yeah, it was last January. And I'm driving around the state park javelina like couldn't care less that i was there uh i pulled in right. one night to the rv in my truck and i've got three does laying 10 feet away from my door of my rv <laughs> and then i saw multiple i think total i probably saw three bucks that were 140 inches or better and they just were there i mean like in the middle of the park to the point where i'm like okay they're rutting right now 
I'm watching one buck chasing a doe. Right. Like I can't let my kids play at the playground because that thing might come after them. Like it doesn't care that much. <laughs> right. And if it sees them, it's just competition. Right. But yeah, Texas yep. is a wild it's place. Different world down there. <laughs> yeah, it is. Do you have a, uh, do you hunt other States throughout the year? Um, like, do you bounce down to I don't, Utah um, or anything? We, my buddy and I tried to go Havelina hunting down in New Mexico early last year. It was a wonderful trip, but we never even saw Havelina over five days. Um, so I do it occasionally. It's, it's just not a very common thing just because of the cost. And yeah. like I said, for Colorado, it's resident tags for me and I know I can put meat in the freezer. So, yeah, that's nice. Uh, what about competitions? Are you, uh, are you still competing or are you doing oh, yeah. more of the fun stuff? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely shooting the fun stuff, but, and I've, the, the couple different groups, right. Rest, Western hunt fest, mountain archery fest, beast mode. Um, you know, I'll still, I'll, I'll be at those events, making sure that the movers there, that we've got a moving target scenario for people to play with and experience. And, you know, part of me going is I could go shoot their event as well. So it just makes it that much more fun for me. Yeah. Do you, uh, I know you're switched over to archery hunting. Are you still doing any, uh, gun competitions? Not nearly as often, um, you know, as I, as I transitioned to the archery side, it really was more focused towards that. It, you and I both know there's a lot more practice, a lot more skill in order to get there. Whereas if I just take the pistol and the, the M4 and I can go have a great day at the range and have a lot of fun and shoot an IDPA event or a two gun or three gun event, but it's not the same as shooting 3d archery. Yeah. Yeah. Th there's something different about shooting an actual three-dimensional target, especially knowing like, Hey, this is meat versus a gong. I don't get me wrong. I love the report from the right. gong at any Absolutely. range, like that ting. And my kids are falling in love with it. I've got a, I've got a five-year-old and a seven-year-old and I brought them both out. Got it. I've got a, the clamp in bog tripod, got that all set up because neither of them can hold up the AR, but got that set up for them and they both shoot. And it's like, the look on their face when they hear that ting from the metal, their mind is just blown. And I'm, I just can't wait for the moment that they can actually draw a bow back, you know, aside from the little suction cup ones, right? Like for them to actually be exactly. able to draw, hold, <laughs> settle and release. I don't think, I don't think I'll ever see them again. I think they're just going to be <laughs> running around in the backyard shooting stuff, you know? No, and you shouldn't. It's that kind of that type of practice is good for you. It's good for them. It's good exposure, and now you just need to get them out and get them shooting other stuff. Yeah, yeah, that was my whole childhood. As soon as I got a BB gun, there wasn't a squirrel, rabbit, or songbird safe. And you know, living out in the country, That's right. I've always said, like, man, if they could still bust me for that, like, I'd be in probably pretty big trouble uh, if they could prove it. But I'm like, I'm Over a kid, you know. You just gave me a BB gun. It, it's a lot of fun shooting my GI Joes, like on a two by four or on a sawhorse. But like, when you have a bird, that's a whole different ball game. My mom used to have a compost right. pile, and we had two fox that would come in and eat from her compost pile. And every time I saw him, I asked her, mom, can I shoot one of those? Can I shoot one of those? And she wouldn't let me. <laughs> she loved those things until there was a Christmas morning that I woke up before everybody else. I look outside, there was a fresh snow and there's a giant red spot in the middle of our yard. Oh, and I'm like, what in the world is that? So I get my mom. She comes out. She's like, before your sisters wake up, go out and see what that is. And here it was my sister's cat, Butterscotch. And I'm guessing one of those fox finally caught oh, up no. with it. Oh, no. So, yeah, my job that yep. day was just shoveling snow to where they couldn't see it. And I'm like, should have let me shoot the fox. <laughs> right. Should have let me shoot it. <laughs> uh-huh. Funny how that works. There well, you go. I appreciate you taking the time to hop on and chat with me. And obviously for the amazing innovation. Like, I can't wait to shoot it. And I'm sure that when people shoot Thanks, this sir. for the first time, it's just going to be one experience and then two it's not going to be the same going back to shooting anything else <laughs> it's that's a true statement so i had it at an indoor event uh last weekend and then uh back in december and i had several folks that got got the opportunity to shoot it month to month back to back um actually grabbed some of their feedback videos uh this last weekend 
So those are coming out on nice. social media over the next couple of days. That'll give you a better perspective of what outside of me talking about it, but what other people think about it. So yeah, keep track of that. And you know, social media is archery at archery in motion across everything and the letter in not I in, but the letter in and yeah, Dan, it's been a pleasure talking with you. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have a, a schedule up of where you're going to be with the product this year? Not quite yet, um, but I will make sure that as I do, I will get it forwarded over to you and you can share it out. Sweet. I appreciate it, man. Thank you very much. All right.